between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome to Hither Came Conan, the podcast that's never ridden a horse. Well, that's not completely true. The podcast once rode a horse a number of decades back, but the horse never actually moved. It just stood there and pooped. I'm your host. My name is Steven, and I was actually chased by a horse once. I'd like to say that it's a long story, but really it's not. I went woodcutting on my uncle's land with my dad and older brother back when I was in grade school. I wanted to be a lumberjack. My brother and I, well, our job was to carry the fresh cut logs to the truck and stack them up in the bed of said truck. But we had to wait for our dad, who used a chainsaw to cut down a few trees, then cut the branches from the trees, then cut each tree into carryable logs. So as we waited, we'd gone exploring. And as we were doing so, we came upon a horse standing alone a couple of hundred yards away, grazing in an open, fenced-in field. I mean, we're talking about a dozen or more football fields worth of land out there. And as we're watching the horse from a distance, it looked up from its grazing and our eyes met. Then, before I could so much as blink, the horse, well, the only word I could use is that it charged. The horse charged at us. My brother and I, seeing a thousand-pound animal, the earth and grass churning neath its mighty hooves as it bared down upon us, we, of course, freaked out and we ran, and the horse gave chase. But, see, here's the thing. The horse had just wanted to say hi. We just didn't know it at the time. We thought it wanted to eat us or something because we were young and we were little and we were stupid. It never entered our tiny little youngster minds that had a full-grown horse wanted to catch us in an open field. It would have caught us. We just thought we were faster because we were stupid, terrified little kids. So yeah, needless to say, while I think horses are majestic and beautifully impressive animals, I only feel that way from afar. Up close, they scare the shit out of me. Where a horse is a horse, of course, of course. Today, we're going to take a look at Conan the Barbarian, number 15 from Marvel Comics. This issue sports a cover date of May 1972, but it hit the stands in February. It sold for 20 cents, and it is entitled The Green Empress of Melnibene. The story was plotted by Michael Moorcock and James Cawthorn, scripted by Roy Thomas. The pencils were done by Barry Windsor Smith. The inks by Sal Buscema, and the letters were by Sam Rosen. And I should add, Barry Windsor Smith also gets a credit for inking as well, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. Into the boat! Conan and his companions, Zephra and Elric, approach the Sighing Lake, where the other dimensional city of Yagala stands. I mean, another, another dimension. They are attacked by demons, but easily defeat them and make their way to the lake shore. There they spy a weird and ancient boat made from the rib cage of some long dead mammoth creature. 
Though Conan is wary of traveling in such a vessel, they use it to cross the Sighing Lake, watched by Zephra's father, Zukala, using his magic fountain as a portal. The three reach the city of Yagala, where they find the wizard Kulin Gath, who is attempting to summon the dread Terhali of Melnibene in order to gain supreme power. He is just a really bad dude. Kulin Gath believes that Conan and his companions were sent by Thoth Amon, who is Gath's greatest rival. But before anything can be done to stop Gath, Prince Gaynar and his Chaos Pack appear, and shit gets real. Shit! With the fighting raging all around him, Kulin Gath manages to complete his spell, and as the waters of the Sighing Lake recede, leaving nothing but dry land all around Yagala, the green empress of Melnibene, Terhali, rises from the dead. Meanwhile, Elric defeats Prince Gaynor, but is unable to kill him as the prince disappears. Nearby, Kulin Gath quickly finds himself working Terhali's last nerve, annoying her to the point where she kills him. I'm gonna kill him, and I'm gonna kill him now! Elric and Conan attack the Witch Queen, but she knocks them both unconscious. Zephra then agrees to become possessed by Arkin, a lord of law, an enemy of Terhali. Let's get it on! And here we go! The now powerful Zephra grapples with Terhali, the two throwing down in an epic battle that ends with both Terhali and Zephra dead. Conan takes up Zephra's body as Yagala begins to crumble. Conan and Elric beat feet, putting enough distance between themselves and the ruins of Yagala that they are not caught in the waters that rush in to fill the lake once more. Elric gives Conan his cloak to wrap the body of Zephra in before he says his goodbyes, returning to his own dimension. And so as the issue ends, Conan takes Zephra home, giving her body over to her father, Zukala, before riding off, once more bound for Argos, or any other place that needs a good, strong sword arm. Everybody out! Okay, so let's start with the cover on this thing. We're still in that era with the solid color bordering an image, which somebody mentioned. I wish I would have written that down. Somebody mentioned, I think on Twitter, I'm going to have to look this up now, folks, just a moment. it and it was actually over on the YouTubes which we're going to talk about that later as well so just keep that in mind this comes from at Jim watch I'm just going to spell it J-I-M-W-O-J-T-O-N 7369 and they say Marvel's entire line at this time had these picture frame covers it lasted just over a year so that's that's good information to know it's not just Conan that's doing this it's all of Marvel Comics using a form of trade dress is what I'll call it. That is something that I'm not a big fan of. But the the cover features, the, the image part features Conan and Elric standing with mist surrounding their legs, coming up to their ankles. There are arms coming out of the mists and grabbing at their legs while a shining pack of demon knight dudes come <laughs> riding at them from the sky. And we actually get a little 
gold plate there on the cover within the image that says Barry Smith, just in case anyone was curious who drew that cover. So as the issue opens, we have Elric and Conan and Zephra. They're riding for Yagala and just monsters and demons and crazy creatures are just coming out of the woodwork, man. They're coming out of the ground. They're jumping at him from trees. They're just coming from all over the place, dropping out of the sky. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And we get the sense, based on something that Conan says about his, that they have been killing so many of these creatures that both of his arms are tired. And boy, are my arms tired. We get a bit with a Zombarg or Exiombarg or Zombarg or whatever, however you want to pronounce her freaking name. She's one of the, I guess, three big bads in, in this issue. We've got her and then Kulin Gath and Terhali. And then, of course, there's like this Lord of Chaos swords or whatever. I don't know. It's all so confusing. But she's talking to Prince Gaynor and she's giving him shit because he failed in his mission. And Prince Gaynor is like, hey, man, we may have lost the battle, but we're going to win the war. We're going to go back and we're going to kick their ass. So you just you just watch us. You watch us and see what we can do. Well, we go back to Conan and Elric and Zephra, and they're still fighting monsters. And at one point, Elric takes his blade, his sword, Stormbringer, and sits at a top. He just kind of holds it atop one of these monsters that he kills. And you see all this, like this smoke, this energy type stuff coming off of the creature and going into the sword. And it's here that Conan learns that Stormbringer feeds on the souls of those that it slays and transmits their former power into Elric. Because he's normally a very weak, frail guy. And if it's if it wasn't for Stormbringer, then he probably wouldn't be kicking some ass like he is now. But Conan is very mistrustful. He's, he's not a big fan of magic. Magic makes him uncomfortable. And he points that out to Elric. And Elric's like, hey, buddy, your sword has uh, magic in it. You told me that a sorcerer imbued it with magic. And Conan's like, yeah, against my will, I didn't ask for it. And he's probably thinking, frankly, as soon as this dumb thing is over, I'm going to toss it into a lake or something. But they reach the shore of the sighing lake and they find this big boat that's made out of a, this is rib cage of this creature that Conan does not want to get aboard. He, again, he thinks it's some kind of weird magical thing, but eventually he gets on. It's, it's almost like uh, Mr. T in uh, the A team. He doesn't want to get, didn't want to get up in that plane with that crazy fool. And uh, they have to end up drugging Mr. T to get him on airplanes. But Conan is a little bit braver then B.A. Baracus, and he boards this boat of his own free will. Into the boat! We then meet Kulin Gath, who does not look like the Kulin Gath that we will get later in a issue of Marvel Team-Up with Spider-Man and Red Sonja. That Kulin Gath is, I feel the way that he's portrayed throughout any of his Marvel appearances, because he also looks the same way in the appearances of of uh, he makes in the X-Men. I talked about all of that in episode 16. I think it was 16. So I didn't, I didn't write down those issue numbers. You know, I just, I can't think of everything at all times. Why am I defending myself? I don't know. Anyway, 
Roy Thomas even comments that Coolin Gath is kind of his creation is due to a well, there was more than one hand involved. Basically, Michael Moorcock and his writing partner that helped him with the plot, James Cawthorn, they came up with the character. Barry Windsor Smith came up with the look of the character. And then Roy Thomas put all the words in the character's mouth, basically. And then the Coolin Gath we see later is not not really the same, the same guy. Roy feels not really the same guy. But Conan and Elric burst into the room. They get to Yagala. They get to the city. They find uh, this room that Coolangath is in. They burst in. Coolangath immediately is like, you guys were set by Thothamon, weren't you? He doesn't like me very much, and I don't like him. We're rivals, and we each think we're better than the other one. And so he must have sent you. That That's the only explanation here. I'm supposed to wake the dread Turhali so that she can reveal the mysteries to me which would lay low all the kingdoms of the West. That's the, that's the voice I'm putting to uh Gath from this point forward. But they of course are not sent. They were not sent by Thothamon. It's just a little, they got to throw that dude's name in here every once in a while, little sense of continuity there. But before they can so much as lop Gath's head off with one of their swords, the uh, 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 portal opens and Prince Gaynor, the damned, who commands the chaos pack of Ziombarg bursts into the room and the fighting commences. And Prince Gaynor's not very smart because I'm not, you know, I'm not a student of battle tactics and whatnot, but I've always understood that if you're on horseback with a sword, fighting a guy standing on his own two feet with a sword, you're going to have the advantage because you're on horseback. But as the fighting is going on, Elric calls out to Prince Gaynor and tells him to come down off the horse and face him man to man, basically. And Prince Gaynor's like, all right, I'll do just that. But of course, as he's dismounting, he kicks Elric in the face. But as we learn, Elric beats Prince Gaynor, but then Prince Gaynor escapes. By the time we reach page nine, Kulin Gath has finished his spell and there is an explosion deep within the city of Yagala. And out of this crater, this wreckage, comes Terhali, the Green Empress of Melnibene. And that final panel there on page nine, it's the it takes up half of the page. It's a great looking shot. It's a great looking panel of Terhali, who is green, and she appears to be walking on tiptoe, though by the next page, she's floating in air. It's at that point that we see Elric beat Prince Gaynor, who disappears. Elric tells us what happens to Prince Gaynor. He says, My rune sword chuckles like a thing alive. Yet though Gaynor turns to dust before my eyes, I, and though his chaos pack do the same, still I sense Gaynor has but vanished exiled to some other world. Tis none of Zombarg's doing, I trow. Surely this is Ariok's doing. Ariok, who still hates Zombarg as much as ever he did the Law Lord Arkin. That is the last panel on page 10. The first panel on page 11. Conan says exactly what I'm thinking at this point, and I'm wondering if Roy Thomas put this in here on purpose for, for Conan to speak to the readers based on how cluttered and how populated 
this plot is with characters because Conan says, Arioch, Arkin, my head aches with names I have no faces for. I should have ridden on toward Argos and not been swayed by lies of easy looting. So yeah, that's exactly how I feel, Conan. There are way too many character names being thrown about, way too many of those names for characters that we're never going to see in the, in this issue. We didn't see them last issue. We're not going to see them this issue. They are faceless beings and it's just, it's too much. And I wish Conan would have ridden on toward Argos and we wouldn't have gotten these two issues. I mean, they're all right. They're, they're okay. They're just not my favorite. They just seem to be a, a, a dense pair of issues that, I don't know, they just don't do a lot for me. It's just, it's a, kind of a slog to get through. But there are some great moments. For example, when Terhali kills Kulin Gath, because Mr. Gath, he, he brings her back to life. And he thinks because he has done so, she will now obey him. And he's basically, all right, lady, I'm the man. I summoned you from the dead. You will now obey me and I will take over the world. And she's like, yeah, right. I was not born to obey. I was born to rule and to destroy. And she shoots this power beam from her hand that just blows a massive hole right through the middle of freaking Kulin Gath. And you just see bits of him flying off behind him. It's pretty hardcore for an issue from 1972, that one panel. We get Conan and Elric trying to take on Terhali and fail very quickly. And that's when a shaft of light beams down from the sky. Zephra knows it as being Arkin, who rules the Lords of Law. Arkin's voice calls out around them and basically tells Zephra that she can defeat Terhali, but she has to become his vessel and she has to give him permission to possess her, basically. And she agrees. Zombarg is watching from this room that she never leaves. Uh, she's watching through her big red ball. Zukala is watching at his fountain and he's very upset because he knows that Arkin's power is too much for any mortal to bear and that by the time the battle is done, his daughter will have died, but Zukala agrees. She becomes the embodiment of Arkin and she fights Turhali. And it's quite the wrestling match. It's, it's pretty awesome. I really kind of enjoyed their fight because it's not like they're, these are two immensely powerful magical beings. And instead of firing energy beams at each other or calling down lightning or shooting spells back and forth, Zephra possessed by Arkin, leaps at Terhali and starts choking the life out of her. And Terhali, in her defense, grabs onto Zephyr's face. She's even got a thumb in Zephyr's mouth. She's trying to, looks like she's trying to put her thumb into her eye. And they just freaking wrestle and fight and punch. There's one energy beam thrown throughout the whole thing uh, from Terhali. And then there's a moment as Zephra is choking the life out of Terhali, she has some energy beams that shoot out of her eyes. And that's what finally destroys Terhali. It just tears her apart. And then Zephra dies. Yagala crumbles into dust. The lake fills back in. Elric leaves. Conan takes Zephra back to her father. And then he decides he's 
he's going to go on to Argos or as he puts any other place that needs a good, strong sword arm. So this last page is freaking gorgeous. It's Zucala standing just outside the gate to their place. So you see a bit of the arced gate doorway thing there around the edges of the panel. You see the sword that Conan had given back. He said, I don't want this magic sword anymore. And there's a bit of flame coming off of it. Zucala, we see him. We're, we're behind Zucala and he's holding Zephra in his arms. And in front of him is Conan on horseback. Conan is kind of looking back at Zucala and we see purple clouds in the sky. They are among brown grassland and we see the, the yellow brick road. What, what is, uh, the beginnings of this little yellow brick path that leads into Zucala's place. It's a wonderful looking image. And when I first looked at it, I said, there's no way that this is not all Barry Windsor Smith. Maybe the colors were by somebody else, but Barry definitely penciled and inked this page. There's even a signature from Barry Smith there in the corner. And of course, reading through Barbarian Life, a literary biography of Conan the Barbarian, volume one, Roy confirms my suspicions that Barry inked that last page. In fact, he inked the last two pages. It's an epilogue where Conan brings Zephyr back. It Apparently what happened here is that this, the, the reason that Barry inked both of these pages, this issue and these last two pages was meant to be a send-off because Barry Windsor Smith had announced to Roy and Stanley that he was leaving the book. He was, after all, breaking his back with each issue with his intricately detailed pencils, and he felt that he deserved a raise. Roy agreed with him, of course, but Conan, well, it, it hadn't quite become the runaway hit that it would eventually become, and they couldn't pay those higher rates that Barry wanted and frankly deserved at this point. And so this was to be Barry Windsor Smith's last issue, and yet it wasn't. If we look into the future or the past's future, you know, still the past, but the future of the past, I guess, we can see that the very next issue, issue 16, is penciled by Barry Windsor Smith. But that issue is a reprint of a story that Barry penciled for Savage Tales number one. It's an adaptation of Robert E. Howard's The Frost Giant's Daughter, which had originally released in that Savage Tales number one that previous January. Then issues 17 and 18 will be penciled by Gil Kane, but then Barry Windsor Smith returns for issues 19 through 24. He gets six more issues in there before John Buscema takes over with issue number 25. I'm not sure what the story is behind why Barry would leave to seek more money only to return a couple of issues later and stay on for six more issues before then moving on for good. I'm assuming that maybe by that point, the sales had reached that level where they could start paying him the big bucks. And I hope that they go into it, or at least I hope that Roy goes into it in his book, Barbarian Life, a literary biography of Conan the Barbarian, volume one. And if he does go into it, we'll talk about that when we get to those issues. But all in all, it was uh, it was an okay story. Again, I was really pumped to read a Conan story with Elric because I've known about Elric forever. I have tried to get into Elric before, and I thought, all right, here's my chance to really understand 
who this Elric character is because this was plotted by the guy that freaking created Elric and wrote all the Elric books. But this story did not endear Elric to me at all. And part of it is because of the way he looks. We talked about that when we talked about issue number 14, the look that Barry gave Elric based off of one cover that Roy had come across of an American publication paperback book of Elric's adventures in which he wore a big pointy hat. Nice hat! And Roy insisted that Elric have that big pointy hat here in these issues. But there's also just the coloring that goes along with everything that Elric is wearing and these freaking boots that go right up to his hips. He's wearing hip waders that are, they're green. Uh, it's just, there's too much green in his outfit. This as intricate and detailed as Barry can get with his pencils, he deserves to have stuff colored in a different fashion. I think Elric's outfit, despite the pointy hat, might have looked a bit better had there been more colors or a different palette of colors in his outfit. And again, I know, I understand this is 1972. They they couldn't do a lot with, with coloring back then, but makes me wonder if that's one of the reasons why Barry ends up coloring his own work at some point in this past future. And he does a, a heck of a lot with those same colors that some of these other colorists just don't do because they're there. I just think his, his pencils deserve a higher level of colors. And again, that's probably why he ended up doing his own colors. But the idea of Elric being this weak, frail king, that doesn't bother me. But it's the fact that he basically has made a, the way I understand it, he's made a deal with the devil to defeat his foes. And I just, I don't know. He's a very dark, dark character that I just, I don't get into those type of characters too much. And the story, while I don't hate it, there was just a lot going on. And frankly, at the end of the day, Conan and Elric really didn't need to be in this story. Their only purpose here was to keep Zephra alive long enough for her to become a vessel for Arkin. That was their only purpose. They were guards. They were bodyguards. They were there to keep her alive so that she could kill Terhali because they couldn't even stop Gath from bringing Terhali back from the dead. That, that was their main purpose. They were there to stop that from happening. They were not able to do that. Terhali manifests herself and neither of them are powerful enough to stop her. So Zephra has to sacrifice her life to destroy Terhali. So in the end, Conan and Elric were just there as muscle, plain and simple. That was their job to keep Zephra alive. And eh, it was all right. That's uh that's about all I gotta say about that. That's all I have to say about that. So how about we do some listeners' feedback? I got a bit of feedback from Twitter from Paul or at the fry pod. That's the underscore fry pod. And he says, really enjoyed the latest couple of podcasts. Sorry about the late response. I am in agreement with you about how much enjoyment I had with the involvement of introducing Elric into the series. I thought it was a massive misstep and derailed the pace of the stories for no advantage. 
especially as Barry Smith's art is really starting to take off at this time. It seems a waste on this two-parter where it could have been put to much better use, such as adapting a Robert E. Howard story. I wanted to add my thanks also on the subject of you addressing the racism in Howard's work. It is a brave thing to do for someone using the material and some of the audience you would be playing to. I followed a few Conan slash Robert E. Howard groups on Facebook and had to leave as the racism and misogyny was rife. So good for you. Thank you for the great podcast. Love all the work and effort you put into them. They are fun, clever, well-researched, articulate, and most of all, really make me want to go back and read all of my Barry Windsor Smith, Robert E. Howard, Frank Frazetta works again. All the best. First off, wow. (laughs) This was a great bit of feedback. I really enjoyed this. So thank you, Paul, for that. Secondly, I have to admit, I laugh out loud every time I run across the part where you say that the podcast is articulate. You don't understand how much work is put into making this in any way articulate. I guess if you stick around for some of the bloopers at the end, you'll understand uh, some of the problems I have just saying words in the English language in a proper fashion so that they sound like real words and how often I have to say things over and 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 over again and how there's a lot of times I don't even catch it and I'll be listening back to it after it's been released and go, oh my God, I can't believe I said he instead of she or I can't believe I said Conan instead of Elric or I can't believe I said snake instead of weasel, you know, just stuff like that. Cause my brain, my brain is old, but yeah, so far all the feedback I've gotten in response to uh, me calling out the racism of Robert E. Howard has all been very positive. I haven't been met with any backlash about that yet. I, I, I expect I will eventually, but it's all been really great. Y'all been real great about that. So thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to provide feedback to the show, you can send your feedback to stevenorls at gmail.com or like Paul did, use Twitter. You can also use Instagram, Blue Sky, really anywhere else I might post about the show and individual episodes. Hey, while you're out there doing stuff on the World Wide Web, I need you to do me a favor. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate the show. The more ratings I have, the easier it is for others to find us. Y'all were listening last week when I asked for the very same favor, and we went from eight to nine ratings, still with an average of 4.4 stars. The goal is to get to 15 by the end of the year, and I think we can do it, folks. And remember, you don't have to leave a review in order to rate the show over on Apple Podcasts. It's not required like it used to be, but if you do leave a review, I'll read it out on a future episode, good or bad, just like this recent one from Alabama Peacock. Sword Brothers, this is an awesome podcast for Conan newcomers and longtime fans alike. I love the issue-by-issue reviews and Stephen's humorous commentary. Highly recommended by Crom. So yeah, thank you for that. Alabama Peacock. I like that name. I'm, I'm not sure why. I like it a lot. But guess what? I just recently learned that most of the folks who listen to the show actually use YouTube, then Spotify, and then Apple Podcasts. So for all my YouTube listeners, first off, give the episode a like. You know, if you watch YouTube videos, I always say, punch that like button. Give it a punch. Quack-a-pow. 
you don't have to punch anything, but you know, give the episode a like. Second, I feel like I should start slowly moving the show over to its own YouTube channel. I've begun that process. You know, right now the show is going through the Stephen or else YouTube channel, but I don't know. I think it would behoove the show to be out there on its own. So I've created the Hither Came Conan YouTube channel, and I've already started to slowly move episodes over there. So if you get a moment, go and subscribe. I'll make sure and let you all know which episode will be the last one to publish through Stephen or else. But, you know, go ahead and subscribe now. That way, when I stop posting episodes on Stephen or else, you can continue with them on Hither Came Conan. All the back episodes will be there. That's what I'm trying to do now. Anyway, for my Spotify listeners, I don't really quite understand Spotify. It shows that I'm averaging a 4.4 rating over there, which is the same thing I'm showing over on Apple Podcasts. It also shows that I have nine ratings over there, which is also what shows on Apple Podcasts. But I can't for the life of me figure out where you can rate the show over on Spotify. And I wonder, since it does match what's showing on Apple Podcasts, I wonder if it just takes that and shows it on Spotify. I don't know. That would be weird, right? Why would they do that? But I can't find any way to leave a review or rate the show or anything like that. If you are a Spotify listener and if you can figure it out, let me know so I can tell folks how that works. Because I have to assume I'm not the only one that is having trouble with that. Next week, we're going to look at Conan the Barbarian, issue number 16, The Frost Giant's Daughter, which is from April 1972. We've talked about The Frost Giant's Daughter already. It was actually the very first episode I released. It's labeled as a bonus episode at this point because it was more of a discussion about the Robert E. Howard Frost Giant's Daughter story and how it compared to the various adaptations one of which is the Marvel Comics adaptation. But we're going to focus just on that Marvel comic next week, folks. Until then, keep your swords close by and never stop treading them jeweled thrones. Bye. Hither Came Conan is a Stephen or Else production. Find more podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to stephenorelse at gmail.com. Find me online at Twitter, Spoutable, and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. And join my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff, at list.justanotherfanboy.com. This is a free substack where I will send every single podcast episode I host right to your inbox the morning that they are released. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Did Conan fight? Honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told. The three reach the city of Yagala where they find the wizard Kulin Gath, who is attempting to summon the dread Terhali of Melab. 
Blah, 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 Dread ter Holly, she comes into your nightmares. Dread ter Holly, she wants to steal your soul. Leaving nothing but dry land all around you, Gala. You gala, you gala, you gotta know the gala of you gala. Gala, gulu gulu gala, goo 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 This is the stuff I do when I'm looking at my phone when I'm supposed to be podcasting. And as the waters of the sighing lake recede, leaving nothing but dry land all around Yagala, the Cree, <clears throat> the Cree, the Cree warrior comes down from above and becomes Captain Marvel and tells them all that they suck, shooting them with some kind of power that I'm not aware of because I didn't really read a lot of Captain Marvel. None, actually. None at all. <laughs> Meanwhile, Elric defeats Prince Gaynor. <laughs> Nearby, Coolin Gath quickly finds himself working to Harley's Ter Harley. <laughs> I got me one of them Ter Harleys over the weekend. I drive around town and it's real loud. And I don't wear a, a helmet because helmets are for sissies. That might have been a bit judgmental. Might have been a lot judgmental. I apologize to riders of motorcycles all across this great world of ours. Wear a helmet, don't wear a helmet. I, I really don't care. It's up to you. Back to the podcast. They were guards. They were bodyguards. They were there to keep her alive so that she could kill Tartar Sauce. So that she could kill Terhali. Oh, why am I having such an issue with that? I just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me. Enough talk. <laughs>